Welcome to a most unusual tea party season four. I am your host and graphologist, Teresa Abram. We are starting this season off with a bang. You will remember our guest today, Chris Hadnagy, from a previous episode. And Chris's handwriting demonstrated 13 signs of dishonesty, and he has been described as the most dangerous man in America. Now stay tuned to the end of this podcast, as I will point out the 13 signs of dishonesty, plus one bonus one, that I found in Chris's writing, as well as which Star Trek actor his writing resembles. But first, let's hear more about Chris and how he got into social engineering and his nonprofit organization, the Innocent Lives Foundation. If you want to watch the full, unedited conversation as recorded with video, check out Handwriting PI's YouTube channel. Podcast videos are released on Thursdays. One last note, I had technology issues. My new microphone was not actually recording, and so be prepared for a sound shift in audio quality that will make you wonder if I recorded this interview in an empty tin room. I assure you, I did not. Does this suck? Yes, absolutely. But it is worth it, especially at the end when Chris starts to see his handwriting as a graphologist sees it. What you do is absolutely phenomenal. You took something that is so, you know, it was scattered, all these pieces of information that we had about the human being and the human psyche, and you created a space for them to come together. Thank you. So welcome, Chris. I'm happy to be back. I'm looking forward to our conversation and finding out more about you. And I think for me, like one of the things that I really find interesting, Chris, is you did kind of start out on the road of becoming a full-fledged con man, becoming a chef without ever having taken a cooking yeah. And, and as I understand, like you didn't even really know how to cut food. No, I didn't. I, I, I was a vice landlord at 17 and I'd never managed anything. I was a chef uh, after that. I sold insurance uh, for a while and knew nothing about insurance. Uh, the, the, you're, you're right. When I look at my career path, I, man, I was an international negotiator for stainless steel in China and India. And I learned what stainless steel was and how it was made by visiting a steel factory in Pittsburgh, just so I knew enough to talk intelligently about it. So I, you are right. Like when I look at my career path, I go, wow, there was one degree of separation where I'm going full con man. And then I'm like, I'm going to stay on the ethical side here. You know. I'm curious first, before you actually decide to know you're staying on the good side, when did you realize that you had that talent for persuading people? You know, that's a great question because I don't, if I had to be 100% honest, I think it was way later in life. I think it was way later after I did what I'm doing now that I went, oh, that's what I've been doing. For some reason, earlier in my life, I just felt like, well, that's what people do, right? Like you want to try things. So you go and try things and then it works out or it doesn't. And if it didn't work out, I have had quite a few jobs that didn't work out. And I'm like, eh, I don't like this. So I move on. And I just thought that was normal. And it wasn't until I'm with like groups of people and they're like, wait, you just what do you mean you're a chef now? And I'm like, I don't know. I got, I saw a sign. I thought it'd be cool to try. Like, but you never went to culinary school. I'm like, yeah, but you don't need to. The guy will show you how to do it if you just ask. And he's like, my friends were like, I don't get it, man. You know, and they would just be doing their path and the things that they liked and the things that they knew well. And I was the kind of guy who was like, I don't know, this may be fun for a few months. Let's try it. So I, I didn't realize what it was that I was doing. And then as I learned about the psychology and science behind it, that's when I went, oh my. That's what I've been doing my whole life. This is it. Yeah. When did you first hear like about Frank Abagnale, who is the, you know, yeah. catch me if you can, gentlemen, when did you first learn about him? And, and did you see the correlation between him and you? 
So I, so I, I first learned before Frank, I first learned about Kevin Mitnick because I was always interested in um, phone freaking. Like in my, when I was a, a younger, when I was a teenager, that's when um, people got into manipulating pay phones to get free calls. And one of the things that someone else, not me, had figured out was that in the Captain Crunch cereal, there was a whistle that they would give out that was specifically at 2,600 megahertz. And 2,600 megahertz was the frequency that a quarter would make when you dropped it into a payphone. So if you took that whistle and you blew it into the payphone, you got free calls. So we all would, of course, go to the store, get Captain Crunch, get the whistles, and now you're making free calls everywhere you go. So I was always interested in that. And then when Kevin got himself arrested, uh, this is early 90s now, it, it, that was my first thing. Like, wow, like he was doing this thing, like just talking people into doing things and calling it social engineering. And then he F SE'd the FBI and then he got arrested. And looking at him, that's when I found people like Frank Abengale and I found Lister Victor Lustwig and other famous con men that I looked at and went, wow, these people all have this skill. Now they use it unethically, but it was still fascinating to me to, to learn about them. It's interesting because for me, I mean, I have read Catch Me If You Can since I think I was 14, like when it first came out. And I was always so fascinated. Not that I can do it because this face does not convey <laughs> lies very well. It, it shows all of my emotions as I feel them, but I was always fascinated by it. And thought that is just a, you know crazy that somebody can actually do this. Yeah. And, and when I would read those stories, I would always go, that would be so much fun to try. Right. So instead of thinking like I can never do that, I would be like, oh, my, I want to go try that. But then I would I, I always had a, a line like when I did, you know, I tell people this story. I got kicked out of college for writing something called a war dialer and um, I didn't do it with malicious intent. I really did it as like I wonder what would happen if I called 5000 numbers at one time and all sent this tone to it and it shut down a phone system in Sarasota County for a day. Now, I didn't know that was going to happen. So I didn't go, let me ruin the phone system. I said, let me see what happens. And then it happened. And then when the police came to the school, I went, oh, man, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. And they were like, yeah, don't do that again. And then I got kicked out of college, right? And I'm like, oh, okay. So I need to not do that. So then I didn't do it again, right? I didn't go back and go, let me do this again. Because I didn't want to ruin people's lives. I didn't want to be malicious. I was naturally curious. And then when I found out something I did was bad, then I went, oh, let me... Let me not go that path again. But I always found that natural curiosity. Like I would have loved to try to talk my way into a, an airplane as a pilot. But then I would be like, Woo, what happens if they think I'm a pilot and I have to fly the thing, right? So I, that thought would stop me from taking that risk. But I always found that fascinating. And instead of feeling fear, I wanted to try it. Yeah. And the challenges were a big thing. I remember someone saying to me uh, when I learned about stainless steel, they said, well, an American company can't negotiate with China. It's the other way around. Chinese sell to us. You don't negotiate that direction. And I went, why? And they went, that just doesn't happen. And I'm like, that's not an answer. Because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it can't. And my name is listed in this Chinese steel magazine as the first American to ever negotiate with this giant stainless steel, a contract from that direction, going from America to, to China. And I'm, and I'm like, Okay, I did it. Then I got bored and I'm like, okay, I quit. I'm done. 
Like I did the thing that someone said that couldn't be done. And it wasn't about like fame and glory and money. It was just like, okay, you said I couldn't do it. I challenged myself. I learned all I could in six months. I actually hired a, uh, a Chinese uh, professor in a college to teach me Chinese and to teach me Chinese customs so I could save face and do it all right. Went to China, did the negotiations, was very successful and then went, okay, I'm done. And then I was like, yeah, I, I move on to the next thing because it was like, I accomplished the goal. So now I want to go try something else. And I didn't realize what all that was until way later. Cause I was like, yeah, that's really weird. I mean, it feels weird now that I say it out loud. Cause I'm like, I probably could have like been really good at that for the rest of my life. You know, when you say you have no fear, um, one of the things that jumps up for me is have you ever taken the, the, the psychopath scale the test to see where you rate on that yeah i i actually rate pretty low for, uh, and i'm happy and and mainly it's because of the empathy and compassion part so i rank really high on empathy and compassion um and that always makes me rank low when i take those tests so it's funny because there's a lot of the, the points in those tests like where they talk about taking risks and not being afraid of risk and those parts i always rank real high but then when we get to the fellow feeling for another human I also rank high, which makes me even out. And I go back sometimes and I say, okay, what if I didn't have empathy and compassion? And I answer those questions as if that part didn't exist. And then I'm basically like a serial killer, you know, but, <laughs> but I'm happy to have that empathy and compassion because one of my core beliefs in my industry now is that what separates a true professional social engineer and not, not a malicious one, a professional, one who can do this as a career and the malicious guys is that core piece of empathy and compassion is that if your company hires me to hack you, I have to feel something for you. So that way I don't look at you as just as a payday. I don't look at you as just as a target that if I find something truly embarrassing on you that I would go, oh, I can't use this on Teresa because she's going to be humiliated. And that's not, that's not healthy. And that piece makes me a professional. Whereas a malicious person would go, I hope I find something humiliating on you because now you'll do whatever I want. And we can't be that way as a professional. We have to have that empathy and compassion. Yeah, that's awesome. So I love it. That is really that distinction between what stops you from going full-fledged con men. Yeah. Is the empathy and compassion that you feel towards others. Um, and that is a core thing that you have people. It's a little bit of a motto that you have them say, yeah. right? Is I'm going to use this for the good. Yeah. I mean, the, my latest book, it was, you know, the, the ending subtitle was leave them feeling better for having met you. Right. Right. And that's our whole corporate motto is that can you do this job, but always in the back of your mind, be thinking, how do I accomplish my goal, but leave them feeling better? And when you think that the job's much harder because now you're not using fear and shame and guilt, you're using positive emotions to get the same response. But what I've always found is that when you do that, um, you get someone who's now willing to learn from you and you can make a massive change in their life for security posture, as opposed to if I humiliate you, you really don't want to learn from me because now you don't even want to look at me. I'm, uh, you, you feel shame and now I'm not your educator. I'm just this guy who embarrassed you. And that to me is a really big part of, of being a professional in this field is that you want to have people feel comfortable in trusting you after you've done the hack to now also be your their teacher. You know, that's really interesting because that was one of my questions for you. It's just like, how do you, I know you want to leave people feeling better off for having met you. And I can get that in the moment, you know, mm -hmm. when you describe how you allow them to get those feel-good emotions going on. But then afterwards where they find out, you know, they've, they've been scammed, how do you still maintain that they're going to feel good about you? Yeah, so 
Let me give you an example, because I think that's a really valuable question. So let's use phishing as an example uh, for testing. So uh, last year, there was a string of companies that, uh, because of COVID, told their employees that there would be no year-end bonuses. And, you know, just be happy to have your job, but money was tight, so no year-end bonuses. Now, I can't imagine being a parent, and if you celebrate the holidays, and now you may not be able to give little Johnny the present, because you rely on that extra five or 600 bucks at the end of the year to go and buy them their gifts, your kids, those gifts. So now you're figuring, oh no, what do I do? Like, I can't tell my kids, dad's a loser. You know, I'm not getting any money. I can't tell them Christmas is canceled. So you're stressing. Now the company, um, and this is what made the news, decided to use as a phishing exercise, the fact that there's, a, there's an employee bonus now, go claim it by clicking here. Now, yeah, I get goosebumps even telling the story. Imagine the feeling of that parent when they find out that that hope that was used to was to trick them. They don't care about education. They hate you. They're, they don't want to value you. Your, that company is not something they want to protect because you basically just told me that I can maybe get Johnny his little present, his Christmas present. But now you said, nope, that was, I was just kidding. That was a test and you failed. So what if you decide that financial vector is the best for a fish? Then why not send something like this saying, make believe you're the COO and I'm a person and I send an email to the whole company that looks like it was meant just for you. So it was a mistake email. And I go, hey, Teresa, uh, here's the uh, payroll with potential um, um, increases for next year. Can you please check it? Now, every employee gets that and they go, oh, my gosh, this was a mistake. Should I look at it? Should I not? Now, we're not promising them raises. We're not promising them bonuses. We're hitting a natural curiosity. So now when they click it and they get the page that says this was a test and, you know, you clicked it. Now they go, oh, man, they got me. But there was no hope that has been crushed. So they may feel a little like, ah, crap, I fell for that. Now they're going to know I looked at that. But there's no hope of being crushed. And before in that other theme, you took something that is a hope for a parent and you crushed it. And that is not something that now leads to positive education. So I say, yeah, okay. Is there always going to be a little negative feeling when someone's duped? Yes. But can you lessen it to the point where they can go, wow, that was good and you got me, as opposed to, I can't believe you made me think that this was going to happen and it didn't. You know, like that, that ruined me. And there were people who quit their jobs over fish like that because they felt like I can't come back to work. Like, you, you know, you held out that carrot and then you pulled it away. In what is already stressful times. Yes. I always tell people, like, imagine if you wanted to learn how to box or do a martial art and you went into a boxing gym and you said to the instructor, hey, I want to learn how to fight just for my health. I don't want to beat anybody up, but just for my health. And he goes, okay, first lesson. And he punches you square in the face. Are you going to go, that's the best instructor on earth. Wow, that guy really <laughs> yeah. taught me. You're going to hate that guy. Like <laughs> I'm out of there. I'm not staying in this gym, right? I'm gone. I'm going to go to someplace who actually treats me like a, like a, like a, like a human. And that's what people who do those kind of fish are is like, you know, I'm going to teach you how to catch fish by punching you in the face. That doesn't feel good for anybody. So don't punch them in the face, you know, show them how to defend. Yes. Cause, and you're not going to get through to them. Like you say, who's going to learn at that point, right? When you have shame as a defense going on, you're not going to learn anything. Yeah. Yep. So would you say there's any common elements 
for red flags of a success a successful scam or a successful phishing email? Are there any common elements? Yeah. Um, that's a great question, by the way. There is one major common element, and that is it, it triggers a strong emotional response in you. See, human hacking is all about getting your critical logic centers to shut down so you make a decision in the moment based on emotion. So whether that emotion is fear, whether it's shame or guilt, whether it's lust or love, whether it's uh, greed or curiosity, it's triggering an emotion that's strong enough in you that gets you to click. And I'll tell you a personal story. Like I'm an Amazon junkie, right? So I love Amazon. And I was heading out of town to a conference. This was a couple of years ago, packing my office up. I'm running late to the airport. And at, in this conference in Vegas, I had a whole bunch of packages from Amazon ordered going directly to the hotel. Now, right before I'm leaving, I'm packing up my computer. I get an email. It says one of your recent Amazon orders won't be shipped to the client credit card. Now, what I tell every client on earth, when you get an email like that, you open up your browser, you go to amazon.com, you log in, you check your orders, you never click a link in the email. But what do I do? Because I'm late for the airport, I'm stressed, I'm like, I can't have these packages delayed. I click that link. It opens up a web page that looks just like an Amazon login page. And I normally have my username saved, but not my password. So I start typing my password in, and I notice my username's not there. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And that causes me to look up at the URL bar. And when I look at the URL bar, I realize it's something, something.ru. It's a Russian site, not Amazon. And I'm like, I got fished. Now I start to analyze that. And I'm like, what was the, what was the factors? Because I know this fish. I've used this one. I've sent something like this before. Well, what was it? It was, I'm in a rush. I'm late for the airport. And I'm worried about that package not getting delivered. So for me, those three things shut down critical thinking. And it allowed me to make a decision that was really bad for me. And I ended up getting fished. So maybe you're not an Amazon junkie. Maybe you hate Amazon. So that email wouldn't work for you. But if they find the one that is your passion, then you might fall for the same thing. So it might, it's not that that particular email was so good that every human will fall for it. That particular email was good for me. So if the attackers find one that's good for you, then the common denominator is emotion. And that when we make a decision based purely on emotion, generally those decisions are not the best. Now, it doesn't mean any emotion in a decision is bad. It just means when the decision is based purely on emotion, that's generally a negative for us as people. It's when we get buyer's remorse. It's when people cheat on their spouses. It's when uh, you know, people make bad purchasing decisions, uh, you know, when they fall for gambling debt or when they take a risk driving or something. It's all usually based on some kind of emotion that leads to some catastrophe. So that to me is the biggest common denominator. That it's gonna, going to invoke some sort of emotion. Yeah. One of the big ones. Well, one of the big emotions yeah. for sure. And really they caught you in a moment where you were being human. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At that point you weren't, Chris had maybe the most dangerous man in the world. I wasn't. I was the most clicky man in America. That's what I was at that point. It was terrible. Yeah. How much would you say? Because I mean, you use a lot of science when you're doing social engineering and, and the research that's coming out about um, body language and facial expressions. There's a lot of science in it. How much do you think intuition comes into social engineering? Yeah, I, I, I do think that there is a large part of intuition, both from um, attacker and target. Right. So for, for both for both sides. Right. So from attacker, some people are naturally just really good at talking to others. Right. So like, you know, we talked about my career path already. So I had this knack for doing this kind of stuff when I didn't know what it was. 
So that made getting into this career easier. Where I look at my COO, Ryan, he's an introvert and he had to work really hard to get to where he is today. Now he's amazing at this job, but our paths to get to the same location were two very different paths because of him being such a, a big introvert. Um, so I do think that intuition has a, a lot to do with it. In addition, some people have a great intuition in um, being able to speak to others and get that feeling that, hey, I'm doing okay. And you're, you're, you're building rapport with me. And other people need like a clear sign that says, I have rapport, right? So I think intuition does a lot. And then from the target side, um, some people are naturally really good at just having this internal radar that says, ooh, I don't feel good about this circumstance. Now, society and, and Western culture, we tend to do this to women more. We tell you to ignore that. You know what, Teresa? He's just being a, he's just being a guy. You know, sometimes guys are like that. Just ignore it. But if your internal radar is saying, ooh, that guy makes me feel unsafe, you should listen to that intuition because that radar, whatever that nonverbal piece that's built into us is telling, you're just telling your brain, red flag, red flag. And when we ignore it is generally when we fall for things. And my fishing example is a great one. I know the, all those rules, but I let all the emotion take over that decision-making process. So um, intuition from both parts could save a person and it also can make someone better at this job um, if you have those. And I really like that you say, like, follow that intuition. <clears throat> if you think there's something wrong, acknowledge that and, and, and follow that feeling. If you find out later that actually everything is hunky-dory, there is nothing wrong with that person, great. No problem yep. saying, you know what, my bad, yep. and carry on from there. Better that side than have it the other way around. Agreed. In your opinion, what would you say is the most important aspect of human behavior or body language to focus on when you first meet somebody? Wow. That's a big question. That's a huge question. You know, when, when, as soon as you asked it, I'll tell you the first thing that came to my mind, because that's usually the way to, to, to go, because I think that was big. I automatically thought about this class I teach, where I start off talking about facial expressions, but then I realized uh, most of the students are frustrated because micro expressions are so difficult to learn. They're 1 25th of a second. And if you've never had training, it's going to take you time. So then I come to the class and I say, now let's focus on the easy part, which is your body. And we go through signs of comfort versus discomfort. And I tell people that one of the biggest indicators when you walk up is hips. Where, where are the hips pointed? They tell you if someone is interested or not, right? So if I see you interacting with a group of people I can, and you're speaking, where your hips are pointed will tell me probably who you're most interested in talking to or who you are speaking at. Now, if I come into the group and I start interacting with you and you slightly turn your hips towards me, now you're interested in me. And I'm not talking about sexually or anything like that. Just the interest is there in the conversation. If sometime in the conversation, you start pointing your hips towards the door or the bathroom, you're saying to me, okay, I need to go, or I don't want to be here anymore. I don't like this conversation, whatever it is, but you're saying I've lost my interest. My interest is there. So I tell people, look for these big things because we can get stuck looking for little tiny nuances and those are great, but until you're skilled at reading them, you may make mistakes. So look for the big things that tell you comfort versus discomfort, interest versus disinterest, and that can help you at least um, get better at reading nonverbal cues. That is so interesting because really what that's saying is, is you know, where your attention gets focused, your body follows. And in handwriting, 
that's exactly the same thing. It's a really, a really oh, big it? one, right? It's all about where's your energy going and you adjust the slant. If the slant is going one way, you know that the energy is going outwards towards people. Huh. And if it's going another way, it's showing you that the energy is introverted. Interesting. Right? It's oh. like the energy directs the way that your pen is going to move on the paper too. So you also run a nonprofit foundation, the Innocent Lives Foundation. You want to just explain a little bit about what that is? So about five years ago, five, maybe six years ago, during one of my jobs, um, we sadly uncovered a guy who was uh, trading in child abuse material uh, that he was creating. So he was abusing children and videotaping it, and then he was trading it with like-minded people on the dark web. And um, we helped uh, set up an operation that got him arrested, and he's in prison today. And that felt amazingly good. Like, I, I never thought of my skill set as anything but just being a good hacker. That's it, a good guy, you know, just a white hat hacker. Never thought of it actually in saving a life or helping a child. So when that happened, I started telling the story in classes I was teaching. And I found that more and more people in my community were having similar experiences, but didn't know how to handle it. So sometimes they were just ignoring it or letting it go. And I'm like, oh, that's horrific. Like, that means children may be getting abused and they're not getting saved because people don't know what to do. So I said, what if I set up an organization that helps people with this talent that I have and that others have to work closely with law enforcement to uncover who these guys are online and turn them over to the cops so they get arrested. So no vigilanteism. We're not setting up sting operations at McDonald's and videotaping them. I see those things on Facebook. They're never good. So it's, it's literally just setting, setting up uh, that we find out who they are in real life and then going to a federal agent and saying, hey, Joe Smith 1234 is actually Joe Smith on Main Street, Nebraska. Like, go arrest him. And I started that four years ago. And we've already helped with 305 cases. Uh, we have 50 volunteers, six employees. We're a 501c3. And uh, we've helped uh, identify child predators around the globe and worked with federal law enforcement around the globe to help stop this crime. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's easy to sit and go, wow, it's only 300 people. You know, there was uh, 48 million images of child abuse last year that were new. Um, but I look at that and go, well, that's 300 people that are never going to hurt kids exactly. again. Exactly. Those 300 people, I mean, if they were not caught, how many other people would they affect, right? It's, it's not just a one-one ratio. They would... No, it's not. So it feels good to, to have the talent and the skill and the time and the people supporting that organization that, um, that, uh, that allow us to fight that fight and to help stop this, this crime. So yeah, people can check it out, innocentlivesfoundation.org. Um, we, you know, we are a nonprofit. So like I'm, I'm a volunteer, not an employee. I work for my company and that's just something I do on the side. Uh, but we do have six employees with that company. So we have people that actually work for it and run it. And then we have 50 volunteers that help do the right. work. So people can check it out. You said it was innocentlives.org. Is that? Innocentlivesfoundation.org. Innocentlivesfoundation.org. And you can check it out and see the amazing work. It's phenomenal. I think that's wonderful. Thank Another you. great way to use these skills that you have and leaving a positive impact all yeah. around. It feels really good. For a look at those 13 signs in your handwriting that I mentioned at the beginning of dishonesty, Chris, I am going to ask you about what you might have learned recently, because I just think the human being is so incredibly awesome and the way that we have this ability to always be learning something new and actually creating new neural networks and neurons in our brain. 
So I'm curious, what is something that you have recently learned? It's funny that you use that phrase neural networks because my, my, my friend Ryan and I, we work together. He's the COO at the company. We were just talking about this concept of muscle memory and where it comes from and how it, you know, how it starts. But we're, we're talking that usually people apply that to physical things like typing. You know, you type and then after you type so long, you can type without looking at the keyboard. But that neural pathway could be created for even the way that we view the world where we can look at the glass as half empty or half full. And, and that happens by doing it over and over and over again. And I learned this and never thought of muscle memory outside of the physical realm. And that um, coming from like a negative background, which I, I, I tend to have that kind of viewpoint that I've had to train myself. But again, one of those things where I didn't realize what I was doing and saying, oh wait, that's just through exercise kind of like physical exercise, but you literally create a new pathway in your brain that connects these two neurons that say, when next time this happens, don't go this way, which is the negative pathway. You're going to go this way, which is the positive pathway. And you can actually make your brain, like you could force it to always go that path by practicing it when you're not emotional. And I thought, that's phenomenal. That's like an amazing like, I, I know that may not be easy for everyone, and I would struggle with that for everything, but I'm like, that could literally cure people without the use of medications or drugs if we could teach young people how to practice that. Like, no one talked to me about that when I was in school. And can you imagine if we can teach young people how to practice creating their own neural pathways? Like, I know it sounds so hokey pokey, but you can literally have them almost do anything they want in life just by creating neural pathways and, and allowing them the freedom to change the way they think and see the world. And I, 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 Ryan and I were talking about that. He's reading a book about that. He's going to send me the book. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. That, that is just, that's amazing. That is muscle memory to like the 10th degree. Exactly. That is. That's something I learned recently. I enjoyed. That is very cool. Thank you for sharing that. And it's, it's so true. It's like, if we could empower people to realize you have way more choices than you think you have. Yeah. You have control and power and, and you know that's one of the things with handwriting some people say well it just happens it's it's i have no control it's like you do and you can change it if you want to change certain pieces you can do biofeedback and you can change those pathways exactly what you're talking about so. that's cool i didn't know that part so now i learned something else new okay now i'm gonna eye block while you tell me all the signs of deception <laughs> you know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna share a screen real quick so i'm gonna bring up your handwriting and then it's easier for you to yeah because i can't even remember yeah okay can you see it? Oh boy, I can. You see those lovely two <laughs> paragraphs. These are the best. I know, but it's just so messy. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, it's awesome handwriting. It's very expressive. All right, so here we go. Ready for the 13 signs of dishonesty. I am. Oh, okay, first one, unclear, illegible writing. Okay, so would you say that every doctor is uh, deceptive? No, so you need to remember that they're the signs of deception, but you always want to have more than one. Like I would never make that, that assumption on somebody. Nice point. Nice point. And that's the same with yours. Even though you have 13, I'm not going to say that you actually really overall are a dishonest person. Secretive, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But you're not dishonest in a negative way. Yeah, that, so well, that would be true. Secretive is definitely accurate. Mm -hmm. Secretive, chameleon, for sure. So definitely, illegible okay. writing. That one is we've got some threading going on. 
Writing is like what happens here where the, the line kind of spools out. Instead of making real letters, we just kind of have squiggles. <laughs> yeah, that word is knowing, but I can only tell you the K-N-O. And then there maybe is a G at the end, but it, I don't, there's no W-I-N-G for real. Interesting. So that, that's called threading, where we tend to just kind of end up making squiggles on the page and rely on human brain to fill in the blanks. Oh, I do that a lot when I'm looking at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely have that one down. Yeah, <laughs> big time. We also have um, sudden changes in your baseline size. And the baseline is just where it kind of goes up and then it drops a little bit. And you can see here where we sort of have it going on slants, but it's broken. It's not even and straight all the way across. Mm -hmm. um, we have trickster letters. And trickster letters are ones where if you take them out of context, you really have no idea what they are. Like, you know, if we look down here, um, I think this word, this is bounds. It is. But if we really took it out, that B would be a little bit difficult, especially when you look at your S in person. Huh. See, person. the R and the S blended in, like you said, what did you call it before? Um, the, the word you used before? This is a trickster letter. Yeah. So look at that R and S kind of melded together and made some weird D. Exactly. If we put that out of context, you'd be like, I don't know. I have no I don't clue know what that word is. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that would be a trickster. Um, another one is frequently corrected or patched letters and words. And so that's just where we see things where you kind of go over it, soldiered, where they're huh. over it to fix it a little bit. We've got some crossing out. When crossing out itself isn't bad, it's just sometimes where we have things that are within the word itself. And we have enough of them there that we're going to count it as one. Yeah, I, I, I could see exactly what you mean, like where I said, oh, I didn't really spell that letter right, or I put the wrong, like that one up there with had, I put the D, so I'm like, ah, let me just write the A more bold, and then I'll, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. right, and you just kind of go over it, yep. and okay, yep. I'm going to fix that, and I think there was a couple of places where I saw where you really did go in and actually just soldier that letter together, <laughs> so that's going to be one of them. We've got uh, filled in E's, so this is one where they're not really clear, so you can see where we don't have the white of the page showing through some of these E's, oh. but that's uh, that spotty writing, those filled in ovals are. So sign. like it's just a solid block as opposed to having that white space in the E. Exactly. That's a sign of deception, huh? Okay. Basically the E in handwriting analysis refers to ears. Um, and so when you have a, you know, something that's filled in any circle that's filled in, um, whether it's an O and A or an E, it's going to show somebody who isn't going to be open in their communication. Huh, okay. So in your case, it's usually your E's that are, are a little bit filled in. Like if we're looking generous up here, that, that E, there's no, no real white in there. Your A and have no real white showing up. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have your signature on here as well, but your signature is different than the text. The signature is much larger and it's very, very dynamic. Uh, so there is a difference there. Again, like this, that doesn't, if you see somebody who has a different signature, it doesn't mean they're dishonest. It does have very specific meaning in handwriting. It just shows you that, you know, who they are in public is not necessarily who they are up here in their own head or behind a closed that's door. That's for sure. That would be very accurate. Yeah, so that's what we know about you. We have some letters, I'm, I'm calling it like omitted letters. Um, and that kind of ties back to the threading where they're not really there. Yeah, like, no, look at that one in the last sentence where I said awful human being. That that word is supposed to be human. 
And then I didn't even spell and I put a plus sign. <laughs> right. Which <laughs> and then there's this and it's like, um, yeah, that's the. <laughs> the. So we definitely have, you know, that doesn't look like the. <laughs> no, it doesn't. That looks like that looks like TC. It does. No, it looks like TC. It doesn't look like T-H-E. Yeah, exactly. And you're missing the O. Oh, there's no O. Oh, I totally missed the O completely. And there's no I in profit right above you yeah. there. Wow. Yeah, I, did, I never noticed that. But now I do that a lot. Wow, look, the word leaving doesn't have an I or an N. Right. So it's definitely there where you're, you're omitting those letters and leaving it up to the reader to fill in the blanks. It's <laughs> like you're giving yourself legal room, right? It's like, oh, no, that's not what I meant. You, <laughs> that's not what I said. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow, that's that's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So that's your wiggle room showing up there is when you. Oh, man. Um, we also have some angles where there should be curves. So what that really just means is like, I think this is an A. It is. Right? And you notice how here on the bottom, it's a little bit more sharper and A should be round, right? It's like a circle with a stem and that's got a sharper, sharper. Stem. Yeah, the A went into the V with not going, like not disconnected. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've got, you know, this is a point on your F here. It's a point. And again, that's that's a spot where it's usually considered to be round and yours is very pointed. It's a flame there. Oh, man, my Fs are all different. Oh, yeah, your Fs are just a, a delight for the eyes, for sure. <laughs> I don't know if delight was the word I was thinking, but okay, I'll go with it. <laughs> Absolutely, they are a delight. Every time you look at it, you can just say, ah, oh, that's a feast for the eyes, those Fs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from favorite to all, like, so what's interesting for me is every time I spell the word favorite, my F is almost the same, similar, but then like awful of profit, those are all different Fs. Yes, they are. It really seems to depend huh. on where it is in the word. If it's at the beginning of the word, that's when you do that giant fish hook, right? That's mm -hmm. the Bernie Madoff, the fish hook to say, look, draw, draw you in and say, uh -huh. I'm, I'm, I'm fine here. Look, favorite. <laughs> Wow. Um, and you are, but that is like that fish hook, right? It's, it's meant to lure their attention. But it does change depending on where that F falls in the word. Um, another one is, oh, I said ambiguous numbers, but when you uh, signed the consent form, you did, uh, the way that you did it, you actually were putting lines through the numbers. And so they became a little bit mixed up, like a little jumbled. <laughs> and what is, is that a 31? Is it a three? Is it, you know, we, we started getting the lines were interchangeable, so it wasn't really. Wow. Another one is two or more distinct ways of writing. We've already covered that. Your Fs, your Ts. Yeah. <laughs> we've got. I see that clearly now. I, did, I would not have picked it out, but I, yeah. yeah, it's very. Clear. Yeah, we've got those going on. We've got uh, some distorted lower loops. And, you know, by distorted lower loops, that sounds way more dramatic than it really is. But just like this one here on this of, you see how it circles very low. <laughs> Um, this one, yeah, so different. Mm -hmm. And this one comes right And then back. the F to the right of that is also very different. Uh, right to the F of it, which one? No, no, like, like, so, so that F and of above where you just were, that has like a circle. Then the awful F is like very skinny, but then the F and of at the end of that very sentence is like a giant pregnant F. Yeah, it's right, so inflated. <laughs> compared to what your other ones are. And same with like over here, this, this Y wow. is very different from this Y, right? So that's yeah. what we mean by, you know, distorted. They're not consistent and they're a little bit unusual. Are, are people normally like the same in their letters? You're going to see a, usually a lot more consistency. 
So you might see a couple of different kinds of endings, but there's going to be a consistent way of doing it. So those lower, you might see a cradle or a straight line. Um, and usually if they're really, really overblown, they're all going to be really overblown, right? Like, especially this F right here, where that bottom loop is overblown. Usually if that's what you're doing, all of them are gonna look like that. Interesting. Another thing is, it says blotched upper loops is the way that I phrased it. And again, that just comes back to not really seeing the white inside of it, right? This is an H. Yeah. You didn't retrace the line, but you made like a, a, a flame shape there again, right? And it's- I don't know what I did there. Kind of filled in. <laughs> Big time. Right, and on people, this L, we should have a little bit of white Oof. space in there. And then there's not, it's, it's filled in. So that's what we see pretty consistently. Or yeah. coming back down in, and you're not going right over the line because if you were retracing that line, it would tell me something very specific about you, but you're not. You're huh. just coming back to the side of it, but you're not leaving white space. Um, and then, of course, the last one would be sign. No, actually, it's sign number 14. My apologies. I have a bonus sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bonus. <laughs> yeah. The bonus sign is that you have capitals that are out of place. Those are Oh, yeah. They just pop up and it should be a small lowercase, but in fact, it's like. Like those T's. I have lots. Of, I can see it now like in Stole. Yeah. Stole. I have a capital T in the middle of it, like after the S. Like it's just so not not profit, nonprofit. I have the P as a capital. And the she's Ooh. often like this here. She, I think. Oh, capital S's. So, yeah, you've got a few of them that kind of pop around and lots of other signs. Genius. It's a capital G. Yes, but that's a sign of respect, right? That is one where you oh. felt very, very, uh, you were quite emotional about that. And that's a sign of respect for that. I was. And generous, generous. is also capital G. And I am very emotional about that. He is, he is all of those things uh, that I say. That's, so those ones are a little bit different. And like I say, none of those on their own are indicative of anything. Uh-huh. But 14 together. But the 14 together, definitely, I mean, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, interesting is a word. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like I said, there's nothing in here, though, that says scary, dangerous. And that's the difference. That's good. That's good, because I don't feel that way. So that's good. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> like if, if this was a serial killer, we would see some of the scary different things in there. There would be the signs that I'd be like, no longer is this just a sign. This is now a red flag. We're going to bump it to huh. another category entirely. And that's an interesting thought. So have you ever been doing one of these just for like your podcast or something and seen that where you were like, oh, I need to take different action? Uh, so yes. Now I've never had like a serial killer on my podcast. Huh. <laughs> I've never had anybody that dangerous. There have been some that have come in where I realize that they're not going to be super open and honest but not in the same way you are. Like it, it's a very different where I know that I'm gonna have to be very, very careful because they will be so defensive that it will just shut down that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, there's that whole protective mechanism. That it's, yeah. like, it's a sign of trauma, right? There's a certain sign that we can see in writing where we know that they have trauma. There's a secret that they're keeping, but it's actually eating away at them. It's, 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 it's harmful. Yeah. And that's going to definitely that. affect the conversation I have with them because it's got to be super tread carefully. Yeah. For me, this is fascinating. So like, I love hearing it all and I love seeing that. And I know that I'm not like a terribly dishonest person. Yeah. So having the 14 signs doesn't like bother me. I'm not like, you know, taking it the wrong way to me. It's just, 
it's interesting to see. And I can guarantee you, if you ask me to write those two paragraphs again right now, they will all be there. You know, they will all be there again because I probably <laughs> would not change a bit. No, no, you won't, right? And here's the thing is you might change it once or twice, but not over the course of your whole life. Yeah, right? not when I get comfortable. Exactly. Well, thank you for partaking in that and enjoying that little. No, that was fascinating. I'm glad you actually did that because I was curious, but then I kind of, we ended in it, whatever, but I was curious about what all 14 what all 14 signs. So that's what they are. Now, the one last thing just before we finish up here, Chris, is I'm curious. I think you're a Star Trek guy, right? You're a Trekkie? I, I yes, you're kidding. I grew up on that. Original then, or was it the uh I grew up on the original and then I, I fell in love with um you know Picard, but I did I grew up on the original. I mean, man, that, that was like the TV we watched. Nice. Uh, was, was... I did a little looking at some of the Star Trek uh, actors to say, hmm, I wonder if your handwriting matches anybody's. Huh. And it was very interesting because, in fact, your handwriting does show some of the same signs as one of the other actors. If you had to guess, who do you think it would be? Uh, as soon as you said it, I thought, oh, no, William Shatner, isn't it? Fascinating. It's not actually William Shatner, but his, okay, his, he has a lot of the signs like you do. Like, if you look at his writing, he's got a lot of soldiering. There's a lot of misplaced capitals. There's a lot of, um, you know, the deformed uh, lowercase. The if you said Leonard Nimoy, I'd be very happy. Not Leonard Nimoy. No, okay. No, no, not him either. Um, What was really interesting is I found one of Jonathan Frakes, who was Jonathan Riker. I wouldn't have guessed him, but I can see it now. He's very direct communicator like he and his character was that way. But I, from what I understand, he was that way in real life, too, like a very direct kind of door kicking down communicator which is very much like me exactly and you can see how there is some similarities there where we've got some different slants going on and remember i talked about yours you have that flame formation in your h and your f and yeah and what's that first word the to somebody no no for underneath that enjoy enjoy yes yeah that i mean he yeah that's a lot very much like me and yeah, so that's who, who you resemble the most would be Jonathan Frakes, which is Jonathan. Yeah, and look at that, his T's. He's got three different T's, four different, five different He's got T's. a lot of different T's happening, and he's got the random capital over here. Look at that art. Yeah, he's got all those different T's in one thing. Yeah, yeah. In one very short, par- in one very short. Sentence. Right, wouldn't it be awesome to get like two paragraphs of his writing? Yeah, just, I mean, know. look at that. Like his two J and T, it doesn't even touch each other. Then his Jonathan T is different. Then his Tom T is like not even, and then the doctors have two different T's in both of those in words. In those words, yep. And that the T right at the bottom there, this the is really different from the first T word. Yeah. Distinct, and this has this big curved hook at the front of it. And yeah. So that's 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 who you most resemble. Yeah, very cool. Wow, that's great. Awesome. Well, thank you. That's kind of cool. Well, thank you for coming on, Chris. This has been delightful as always. It was fun for me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you're wanting to hear more from Teresa and her guests, be sure to subscribe on the platform of your choice and follow her on Instagram at handwriting underscore PI.